0: we Well, go ahead, if you haven't, and, and turn to Haggai chapter 1. I uh, want to say good evening to those who are joining us on our worship guide online. Glad you could be with us tonight. And I just have to say at the beginning here, if you had asked me or I think any of our elders a year ago, what would be the best section of Scripture for our church to be walking through in the midst of a global pandemic, and in the midst of all the political, racial unrest of our country, and all that the last few months have been, I'll just tell you, I probably would not have said the prophets. I probably wouldn't have said, you know, let's go to Habakkuk, that would have been the first book in my mind, but I'm just gonna say I am grateful for the past few months of walking through books like Isaiah, and God teaching us about justice from his perspective. I am really thankful that we got to walk through the book of Jeremiah, and it was an overview, and I know that, and the message of what, is, what does it mean to be a truth teller, a voice of truth in this generation, and Habakkuk last week for me was so encouraging to me personally that we as God's people, the righteous live by faith, and then this week we come to the book of Haggai, and I'll just say tonight may be the best message some of you have ever heard from the book of Haggai. Maybe the only message you've ever heard from the book of Haggai. I love these two chapters of the book of Haggai. Haggai is a book about priorities. Haggai is a book where God is going to call his people through the prophet Haggai to consider their ways, to evaluate their life. Haggai is a call to repentance from misplaced priorities and then a call to action. We're gonna take a look at that tonight. Now, Anthony mentioned a verse out of Matthew earlier. This is the verse where we're gonna kinda set the context and the direction for the book of Haggai. Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter six, the Sermon on the Mount. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. In the midst of Jesus teaching about the anxieties of life and the pressures of life and all the things out there that we tend to pursue, All the things out there that we, I, tend to prioritize and make the focus of our life. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says it so perfectly. He says, but you imply the people of God speaking to his disciples. Sermon on the Mount, a large crowd that are together there. But seek first. The word seek is a pursuit word. It's. It's a priority word. It's a direction word for our hearts and our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all the aspects of God's kingdom. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And his righteousness and all these other things, they'll be added to you. Now that's not a name and, and claimant theology verse that says, if if I jump through the hoop, Jesus tells me, he gives me whatever I want. That's not the heart of this. The heart of this is, and, and here's the big truth that's going to guide us is God calls his people to pursue kingdom priorities. The call of Jesus here, the call of God Almighty to us and to his people is this a pursuit of kingdom priorities. Instead of all the lesser priorities that, let's be honest, right, we all tend to pursue in our lives. What does that look like? What does it look like to pursue kingdom priorities? Well, that's the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai is a book about priorities. This will be the last prophet we're going to hit before we jump into the New Testament next week in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Here's this prophet Haggai that's going to call God's people to reevaluate, to consider their ways. To reevaluate the focus and the priorities of their life. Now, just like we've said in every prophet, it's huge for you to get the context of this book. Habakkuk last week was a pre-exilic prophet. He told about the coming Babylonian captivity. Haggai is a post-exilic prophet, meaning the Babylonians have already come. The destruction of Jerusalem has already happened. The exile of God's people in 586 has already taken place. Haggai is a prophet who is speaking on God's behalf to all the Jewish exiles who were sent from Babylon back to Jerusalem, back to Israel, back to Judah. Now, let me me clear this up for you because I want you to understand this. You've got to get the context here. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians wiped out Jerusalem, carried off Judah into exile into Babylon. 538 B.C., a new king arises, a new kingdom arises that defeat the Babylonians, the kingdom of Persia. Their king was Cyrus, and Cyrus, what's this? A Gentile, non-believing, non-God-honoring king, orders the Jewish exiles to leave Babylon, go back to Jerusalem and build the temple. You know why he does that? Because hundreds of years earlier in the book of Isaiah, God foretold it that it was going to happen that way. And the king Cyrus, you can read all about it in Ezra chapter one, we won't take time to read it. Ezra is also a post-exilic book, but the king says, okay, the Jews, they're gonna go back to Jerusalem they're going to rebuild the temple just as God had foreseen and foreshadowed and foreordained it to take place. 536, or I'm sorry, that was 538, 536 BC, 50,000 Jewish exiles travel from Babylon back to Jerusalem and they put their hand to the work of rebuilding the temple there in Jerusalem in 536. Now, here's where the book of Haggai comes in, and here's what you need to see tonight. For several years, the Jewish exiles were hard at work at rebuilding, and they laid the foundation of the temple to be rebuilt there in Jerusalem. And after they laid the foundation of the temple, you know what happened? They quit. And the work stopped. And all that God had done, and all that fit into God's purpose and plan of going back and carrying out this mission, this purpose, and we'll see why that's so important to us in just a few minutes. They started the work, they laid a good foundation, and then they quit. And God raises up the prophet Haggai to say to them, What are you doing? Consider your ways. Your priorities have shifted so quickly. That's the book of Haggai in a nutshell. God calls his people to pursue kingdom priorities. Now, Haggai chapter one, verse one. You guys ready? Let's dig in. I hope you've been reading through it on your own. Hope tonight helps you make some sense of the book of Haggai. It is incredibly practical to the season we are in as a church right now. Haggai chapter one, verse one. In the second year of Darius, the king, Cyrus was the first Persian king. Darius is now the next one. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to two peoples. Zerubbabel, he's the governor. He's the Jewish governor there now in Judah. And Joshua, he's the high priest. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Here's what God is going to say. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. I'll stop right there. You know what God's doing? God is quoting what was evidently a popular expression among the people at this point. The work has stopped, they've walked away from it, and their expression is this. You know what? We're all for building the temple. We believe it's God's mission that he's given us to rebuild the temple, but you know what? It's just not the best time to do it. And God says, thus says the Lord, or, thus says the Lord, verse two, here's what the people are saying. It is not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. Verse three, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. And he says this, you just gotta know if you've read Haggai, Haggai gets in our business. Haggai was written 20 you can do the math 2500 years ago but I just got to tell you as a western american believer who is so easily gets my priorities totally out of whack Haggai is as pertinent and more so than this morning's headlines it's the living word of god listen what Haggai says from the mouth of the lord to the people in verse 4 he says is it a time you say it's it's not time You're saying it's not time to rebuild the temple. What time is it? Verse four, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house or the temple lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. If that's your translation, this is the ESV. You might wanna mark that in your Bible, consider your ways. Personally, that little phrase has been reverberating in my heart and my head all week long as we, tr- we tend to drift and we get our priorities as God's people totally out of whack. Consider your ways, Haggai says. The word consider here is a very important word. It, it, it means to ponder. It means to give careful thought to It means to think through your decisions, how you allot your priorities and your resources. And then what's this? The word in Hebrew doesn't just stop there. It goes from the idea of pondering to then the idea of action. What are you then going to do as you stop and before the Lord, ponder and reflect? And can I just say, we don't really like to do that and we don't do that very well. The busyness and the fullness of our minds, and and the, the advent of social media, and you just fill in the blank. And I'm speaking to myself here. We never have a moment where it's quiet, and there's not something for our mind to chase. So that before the Lord, we stop and say, "Lord, help me by the power of the Spirit, consider my ways, priorities, decisions. I spend my resources." Or is my life aligned with your kingdom? Jesus said, seek first kingdom. All these other things, be added to you. Keeps going, verse six, so what's the outcome of that? He gives some outcomes, verse six. He says, okay, so in light of that, he says, you've sown much, but you've harvested little. It says you eat, but you never have enough? You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is ever warm. And he who earns wages, listen to this phrase, he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Is that not an apt description of my life many times? And if it doesn't sound familiar to you, it's as if Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 is almost quoting what Haggai is talking about here. He says, You, you, you pursue enough food first, but you never have enough. You, you pursue enough drink first, but you're never satisfied. You pursue clothing, but it never works. You pursue more money and more money and more resources, and you bring it home. You put it in a bag with holes, it's like I never have enough. Jesus basically says it's because your priorities are all upside down. Haggai says, consider your ways. Matthew chapter six, verse 25. We read verse 33. Let me give you the background of verse 33. Jesus says it this way. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, what you drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 32, for the Gentiles, non-believers, seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you have need of all of them. Is it important to wear clothes? By the way, yes, thank you for wearing clothes. It is important to have a home. Is it important to have food? All that's important, none of that. This is not a poverty gospel that says it's wrong to have stuff. That's not what the Bible's saying. It's about priorities. What are we seeking first? And that's when Jesus comes back, verse 33, and says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Is this powerful? To have been wrestling with Haggai all week. He continues on, he comes to verse 8, and he says, Okay. Consider your ways. Consider your decisions. Consider the use of your resources. Consider the direction of how you spend your time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then remember that word considered leads to action. So verse 8 says, Here's what I'm calling you to do. Go up to the hills, bring wood, and build the house. By the way, we just be the work that God called them to here in building the house. It's hard work. It's not easy you're gonna have to go up in the woods. You're gonna have to cut down the trees. You're gonna do the work and bring it down. And build a house. It's work. That verse eight. I may take pleasure in it that I may be glorified. Says the Lord. In other words, the building of this house is not just about a structure. It's about God's purposes in manifesting His glory to the world. It's a big deal. And I may be glorified. Verse nine. You. Looked for much, and behold, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Misplaced priorities, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, talking about the temple, while each of you busies himself with his own house. So let me try to ask some questions about what we just read and see if we can get some application in our life. I I gave you the big truth, right from Matthew 6.33, God calls his people to pursue kingdom priorities. Let me see if we can come up with a few big pursuits or big ideas that flow out of this. Here's some questions, number one. Why had the work of the Lord stopped there? You read Ezra, and you read Nehemiah, and you read the contemporaries. They they actually come a little bit later than Haggai, Zephaniah, and Zechariah. All these prophets are post-exilic. Why had the work stopped? Because the Bible seems to indicate when they first got there, man, they're hard at it, and they're laying the foundation, and they're getting with it, and they're excited about the work of the Lord, and then it just stops. I think there's at least three reasons that the Bible gives you here. Number one is this, the work stops because of their endless excuses. <laughs> this is convicting. Go back to verse two, you do have to turn there, but he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, this people say it's not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. Here it is, it's, it's their endless excuses of why, and I'm speaking to myself here, Lord, I totally agree with what you're calling me to do God, I think this is a good thing, but Lord, now is just not the time. It's excuses. And the work of the Lord ceases here because of their continual excuses. We agree with God this is a good thing to pursue, but Lord, can we just say, it's not the right season of my life. It's just not the right time, Lord, and we delay, and we delay, and we delay, and Haggai gets right after it in our hearts. And I was just thinking this week, here's some examples. God, I agree with you. Lord, you are right about discipling my children and family discipleship, and Lord, this this effort that I, I need to put in, and it's a huge thing, but Lord, not right now. Not right now. Lord, I agree that it is right to share the gospel with that neighbor and my friend and that coworker. And, Lord, you've led them into my life. But, Lord, not right now. Not right now. Lord, I I agree with you, and I think life groups are awesome. (laughs) But not right now. Not right now. Is anybody convicted by that? I am. Listen, I was just praying through this and I think and I'm convinced there's some people in our church who God has stirred in their heart to begin the process to move their lives and cross a culture to make Jesus known in another part of the world. And you know what they're saying right now? To God, Lord, I agree with that. I understand the call is on my life to go be a missionary in another part of the world. Not right now. Not right now. It's convicting to me. Lord, help us to understand it is not up to us to delay obedience when you've made something very clear to us. Thank you for the prophet Haggai that calls us to consider our ways. So one is their excuses. Number two, they had enemies. You can read about those enemies in Ezra and Nehemiah. Just real quick, Ezra chapter four says this. Again, talking about the enemies there in the land. He says, now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building the temple of the Lord, the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. And they bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purposes all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius. And that's where the book of Haggai begins. In other words, there were enemies. There's always enemies. There's always going to be plenty of voices around you to discourage you and distract you and to wear you down and have us to ask, Lord, is it even worth it? Can I continue in this? We we all struggle with that. There were enemies, real enemies that were discouraging the people of God and the work that God had called them to do. And then thirdly, just really quick, there were just simply everyday life distractions. Verse four, we read it, I'll I'll read it to you again. He says, is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? You circle that little word, paneled. Again, God's not saying it's wrong to have a house, it's wrong to have stuff, that's not the point at all. But the word paneled is a very interesting word. It literally means the word adorned is the idea, is it ever gonna be enough? (laughs) In other words, you're constantly adorning, constantly doing the next thing, constantly want this. And listen, I'm talking to myself. I'm at home today putting up shelves in my house for my wife, thinking about a back and going, what am I doing? God says, listen, is it time for you to live in your paneled, adorned houses? It's not that your house is wrong. Consider your ways, consider your priorities. And he says in verse nine, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. God says, I blew it away. Why? Because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you, mark this phrase, busies himself. That phrase literally means is running after, is running after his own house or whatever you want to fill in the blank. Priorities. Priorities consider your ways so the work had stopped because of these reasons it seems verse 10 God says this therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew the earth has withheld its produce I've called for a drought on the land and on the grain on the new wine on the oil and the ground that brings forth brings forth on man and beast on all their labor it was kind of the season they were living in they were just living in this place of dissatisfaction and lack of fruitfulness and So God lovingly and graciously sends Haggai to say, my people, consider your ways. Now, second question I wanna ask about all this, why does the rebuilding of the temple 2,500 years ago matter to us today? does that matter to us today? Well, understand as we've been reading through Bible 2020, we wanna understand and get the whole of Scripture, the full counsel of the word of God the temple pictured then what is a greater reality today hold on to that to the Jews the temple first it was the tabernacle in the wilderness then Solomon's temple and now this rebuilt temple simply was given by God as a physical representation of the presence of God with his people He gave this physical representation of the presence of God with his people. Okay, then why does that, does that mean, okay, we better start a building program and build more buildings? No, and I've heard this passage used over and over for that. There may be a day we build more buildings. That's not the point of this. What is the point to us 2,500 years later on this side of the cross? Let me give you some realities. You can write these down. They're not on the screen. Number one is this. The greater realities today are this. Number one, Jesus is the greater temple. Does that mean? John chapter two, he's in a discussion with the Pharisees and they say, what signs do you give us of who you are and that you're going to do these things? Jesus answers John 2, 19, destroy this temple pointing to the physical temple that was there at that time in Jesus' day. And in three days, I'll raise it up again. The Jews says, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days, verse 21 of John 2. But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. The greater representation of God with us is Jesus Christ. Jim Shattuck's pastor, he's a professor at Southeastern Seminary, helped me with this. He said this, here's the quote. God did not establish the physical temple as the end game. He established it as a representation of that which was to come, of which we are beneficiaries, that is the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. The temple was a foreshadowing and a picture of Jesus to come. But watch this, the Bible doesn't stop there. Keep keep with me. Not only is Jesus the greater temple, number two, secondly, Every Jesus follower, the Bible says, is a temple. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 say this. Paul speaking to the Corinthians says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Now the body of every believer is a manifestation of the Spirit of God dwelling within us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Isn't that incredible? He says, the implications of that are vast. He says, whom you have from God, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. That's why what we do with our bodies matters. Our bodies are, is, is this temple of the spirit of God in the world today. Wow. Bible's not finished. Stay with me. Thirdly, the church collective The body of Christ collective is a temple, the dwelling place of God. Verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this. Do you not know that you, that's plural by the way, he says you all, speaking to this body of believers, you all now collectively are a temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. Corporately, there is a unique manifestation of the very presence of God with his people. We, we individually, watch this, this is huge. We individually are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We collectively are the body of Christ. Now also, the body of Christ. You say, is it correct to say that I by myself am the body of Christ? That's not actually accurate because the Bible never presents it as an individualistic thing collectively together, specifically even the gathered church manifests and represents we are a temple, the very presence of God exists in a unique way among the people of God. Wow. It says this, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ, plural, and individually members of it. We're a part of the very body of Christ, which means now the church of the living God. And don't think building, don't think program, don't think the people, the redeemed people of God, a redeemed community of Jesus followers on mission together. How about that one? The church is the visible representation of God in the world today is us, the body of Christ. Therefore, number four under this is this. The hard work of building the temple is not finished. The hard work of building up the body of Christ is not finished and continues today. Show me that. What does that mean? Big truth: God calls his people to pursue kingdom priorities. How, how did this turn out? Let me, let me read verse 12 to you and then we're gonna make some applications to this based on what we just learned. Verse 12 says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people, how did they respond to Haggai? The Bible says they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. You might want to mark that. We haven't seen that a lot in the Old Testament, by the way. <laughs> they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. I'm going to give you three big ideas that flow out of this and we'll wrap up. All this that we've tried to gain, here's big idea number one. If we are to pursue kingdom. God's people are seeking the kingdom first. What does that look like? Three big ideas. Here they are. Number one, pursue the presence of Christ. We are to pursue continually the presence of Christ. It says here that the people heard the word of the Lord. God graciously spoke to them through the prophet Haggai. You say, I wish we had a prophet like that. You got something better. The living word of God preserved for you. They gave place to the word of God. They sought their God in obedience and reverent worship. They pursued the very presence of Christ. We today in this, we are to continually pursue the presence of Christ. Verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And God says to them, I am with you, declares the Lord. Time out. I hope you read that and you scratch your head and you say, wait a minute. Wasn't God with them before they obeyed? Answer, yes. Then why does he say on the other side of worshipful pursuit of their God and in faithful obedience is an overflow of that pursuit? Why does, he re, why does he say, I am with you, declares the Lord? Here's why I think. Because the effects and fuller experience of God's presence is known on the other side of obedience. Doesn't mean God is more with us But it means as we pursue the presence of Christ in worship and obedience and his word, it seems to indicate as we continue to obey the effects in our life, the experience of that in our life are known in a more full way as we continue to pursue obedience. Where do you get that from? Jesus said this, John 15, nine and 10. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Does that mean Jesus loves us more when we obey? Absolutely not. But the effects and the fuller experience of that are as we continually pursue his presence. One of the things I think that happened to the people of Judah and is a trap for us is the promise that God makes that he is with us does not spur on a hot pursuit. It leaves us passive. That's a a word for us. It was a word for me this week. In other words, the promise of God's presence with his people, the spirit of God indwelling me, the, the, the manifestation of God dwelling with his people, the body of Christ is never intended to lead us to passivity, but a hot, continual pursuit of the presence of Christ and worshipful, God-honoring, faithful ob- obedience to him as the overflow of this abiding relationship. See that? Number two, big idea number one is this, pursue the presence of Christ. Number two, pursue the building up of the body. I just love this. In other words, when you read the Bible as we've read it this year, you, you see the whole counsel of God that this, this temple that was so vital and important throughout the Old Testament, now Paul takes it in the New Testament and says, listen, we the people of God, we are the body of Christ in the world today We are the visible manifestation of God in the world today, his people. But the work of building up the body of Christ is not done yet. You know when it finishes? When Jesus returns and makes us all perfect. Until that time, there is a call on every believer to build up the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. The building up, that phrase literally means it's the work of edification, the work of nurturing, the work of maturing, the work of pouring into one another as each part has its place within the body so that I'm growing in Christ-likeness and you're growing in maturity. And every part of the body is investing in every other part of the body. It's the metaphor of the body, man. My foot has a role, my hand has a role, my spleen has a role, whatever the spleen is. All the parts have a role to work work together and watch this the body is only healthy when every part is contributing to the whole of the body and building itself up in love paul said and take this consider your. this was a consider your ways moment for me this week If we see it this way, and the call is to pursue the things of the kingdom, and God says we are to continually be about the work of building up the body of Christ, that changes my questions, that changes my preferences, that changes my decisions, that changes my actions, right? It's like this. I don't know if I wanna go to life group tonight. I don't really feel 100% and we gotta do Zoom or we gotta wear my whatever, it is. I don't really feel it. That's no longer the question. Here's the question. Will this build up my brothers and sisters in Christ? Changes it. Well, I don't know if I, if this new role or this area of service fits into my schedule. I just got a lot going on. That's not the question anymore. The question is this. Will this contribute to building up the body of Christ so that Jesus is more clearly displayed in the world? Changes it for me. I I, I got... I got places that we need to direct this money and I've got a lot of the things going on. I I don't know if I can honor God first and and honor him through my giving through that local church. It changes it for me. How can I use this money that has been entrusted to me to honor God and invest in the local church? Why? So that the body of Christ is built up. Changes it. Changes the questions of, do you know how that guy offended me? Do you know how that girl offended me? Do you know they said something? No, 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 no. Pursue the things which make for peace, the book of Romans says, and the building up of one another. Keep short accounts. Pursue the mutual body of peace. Pursue reconciliation when we get crossways with one another. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. So many implications on that. You're a member of this church. You walk through a process where you read over something called membership promises. Membership promises of this church really lay out for us. And I'm not going to take time to read all of them, but they're there. They, they lay out for us the commitments that we make to one another. Why? To build up one another in this thing called love. To build up one another in the body of Christ. I'll just read a few. To pray for and submit to my church's leadership. That builds up the body of Christ. To love and promote unity and mutual edification. That's from Romans 13. Why? Builds up the body of Christ. How can I build you up? How can I edify you? How can I correct, admonish, strengthen you? Together with my church family to worship. To sacrificially and cheerfully steward the resources God has given me through regular financial giving. Why? To build up the body of Christ. To live in Christian fellowship. Pursuing community to discover and develop my gifts, to contribute to the body of Christ, to value my family as the first place of faithful ministry, to go make disciples and share Jesus and make him known. Why? To bring into the body of Christ those God is redeeming to continue to build up the body of Christ, to be sent out to live on mission of making Jesus known. Consider our ways. Consider your ways. We have been called, equipped, set apart by God within this body to build up this body. And the question is not my preferences, my opinions, my likes, or my dislikes. The question is, does this build up my brother or sister in Christ? That's what I'm gonna pursue, that's what I'm gonna do, because that's what God has called me to do. Final point, the team can come on up and just begin to play. We don't have time to go through all this, but the final final point of this, big idea number three, I'll, I'll give you this and we'll be done. We know that we first pursue Christ's presence. Second, pursue the building up of the body of Christ. And then thirdly, it's just a word of encouragement. The fruit of kingdom pursuits will not be fully known until eternity. Scene shifts a little bit. The, the people of God obey, they, they get after the work of building the temple. And God speaks again through Haggai, and you can just look there. I'll, I'll just read it to you, chapter 2, verse 2. It says now speak to Zerubbabel, speak to Joshua the high priest, verse 2, and all the remnant of the people, and say this: verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it? Is it not as nothing in your eyes now? You know what that means? It means they got after the work. They got after the building of the temple and they looked at it. And there were some who remembered the former temple of Solomon. And they go, is this it? In other words, it seemed like all their labor and all their effort of doing what God called them to do had very little. Does this does this seem like very little in your eyes? All this effort of rebuilding this temple? Verse 4. Yet now, yet now. Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. He was the governor. Be strong, O Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. Get after there's work to be done for I am with you declares the Lord of hosts the sovereign Lord according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt I'm going to fulfill my promise all this that you're doing works into my plan of redemptive history even the little thing you're doing on the temple now that seems to have very little impact matters because I'm using it to fulfill the covenant I made with my people it matters Thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I'm going to shake all the nations so that all the treasures of the nations will come in. And then I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Pastor Mike, what does that mean? Well, different commentators have different conjectures on what that means. Here's at least what I think it means. First, we know on this side of the cross, what's this? Jesus will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that work's going to continue and it's going to be finished when Jesus comes and makes us all perfect one day. We're far from it now. He's going to complete the work. But what we do today matters because it will be completed. And in the context here, it seems to indicate that there will be a day that the temple, that is the greater temple, Jesus himself will be manifest in all his glory when he returns. And maybe this sounds familiar. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. It was Habakkuk last week. See, so it all fits together. In other words, what we do now seems to maybe not matter sometimes, but God's purposes will be accomplished, and our faithful building now and prioritizing now, the fullness of all that may not be known until eternity. Consider your ways. Press on for the work of the Lord. The labor in the Lord is never in vain in the Lord. Would you bow your heads for just a minute? give you a minute there right there in your seat before we sing our team's going to lead us you heard a lot from the book of Haggai I hope some of you will go back and even prayerfully read through it and consider our ways again but just right there in your seat I pray you take a moment and just take these words to heart consider your ways where are my priorities Am I pursuing the presence of Christ in a white, hot, continual, grace-driven, spirit-empowered pursuit to know him, to walk with him, experience the effects and the power, rather than just resting in that promise? It's a pursuit. up the body of Christ and making decisions around that, even in the time of COVID and it looks weird it feels different. I know that.
1: Am I asking the question,
0: does this build up the body of Christ, the glory of God? Father, I pray that you'll do this work in our heart tonight. God, I pray you would call us, Lord, to pursue kingdom pursuits for your to do that because we, we're selfish. I'm selfish. And I need your mercy to reveal my ways and how I'm so distracted by things that don't matter. And Lord, help us to seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things, Lord, they'll be added to us. We love you and we praise you. Jesus Christ.